Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you to, to Gillian and the team for uh, leading us uh, beautifully in song this morning. And uh, thank you to Andrew for uh, leading us so thoughtfully uh, through the first part of this morning. Um, let's, let's just take a moment. Um, and I, I loved Jenny's encouragement to us. So let's just pray in that spirit as we, we come to God's word this morning. Father, we want to we want to thank you that you are here and you are present in this moment, in this place, and we just take a moment to remind our our own hearts and minds uh, of that truth and that reality. And Lord, we want to say this morning: here we are. Help us to be present to this moment. Help us to be present in this moment um, to your word and the things that you want to say to us by your word and by your spirit. Uh, we pray that nothing would distract, nothing external, nothing internal, nothing in the week past, nothing in the week ahead, uh, but help us as your people to be attentive to your voice. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so for those of you maybe visiting or dropping in or who haven't been here, uh, maybe for everybody else, a little reminder, we're, uh, we're in a series as a church thinking about everyday mission, thinking about what it means for mission to be something um, that involves everyday ordinary life as we go about it. Um, I wanted to, just at this point, recommend a book um, and also uh, every now and again I have to own up that I'm stealing all my ideas from other people um, so I want to there's, there's a couple of books about mission uh, that I, I really love but one of them is this one it's called The Symphony of Mission I have my copy here as well uh, by Michael Goheen and Jim Mullins uh, the subtitle is Playing Your Part in God's Work in the World uh, and that book has really inspired a lot of this series, so if you go and read the book, you'll be going through it going, ah, that's where JM nicked that from. Um, uh, and yes, highly, highly recommended um, as, as a book to, to read and think about um, your part in God's mission. And I'll, I'll be reading a little bit, a little tiny bit from it this morning. Um, and I guess just a quick recap of where we are. We spent um, the first four weeks of the series really trying to get a, a big picture overview of God's mission in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Um, the mission begins with God's mission and then we join in. Um, and really where we're going now, starting this week, is trying to bring it a wee bit more down to earth to think about in our everyday living as we get up on Monday morning and put on the kettle as we've talked about, um, what does it actually look like for you and I to be people on mission? Um, and we're going to be thinking over the next three weeks or the next three sessions of teaching about three very practical ways that we can be involved in mission. Um, I'll, I'll tell you now what they are. The first one is work, which is what we're going to be thinking about this morning. And you'll hear a lot of echoes of what Wallace shared last Sunday. Um, the second one is service. It's about serving other people. And then the third one is about evangelism, about speaking the message of Jesus. Um, if, you, if you find it easier to have three 
uh, words beginning with the same letter. Uh, you could think about this week as being about stewardship uh, as we think about our work. Next week as being about service. And then the next one as being about the spoken word, speaking uh, the message of Jesus. Three ways that we can participate um, in God's mission. So, having said all that as my intro, um, here's where I want to begin uh, exploring, thinking about work. And by the way, we, as a church, we were in a series. I don't know if you remember this. We were in a series about um, work and following God in the workplace before COVID hit in 2020. And we, we didn't quite finish the series because COVID hit and other things uh, kind of took our, took, took our attention. Um, but you'll hear some echoes. If you remember that far ago, uh, you may think this sounds like a sermon J.M. preached in 2020. There'll be some repetition uh, from back then. Uh, but here's where I want to begin with a, a beautiful, powerful, brilliant verse uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul writes this. He says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Very famous verse. Um, but I want to ask you immediately, what kind of work or labor do you think Paul is talking about? Maybe when we hear a phrase like the work of the Lord or labor in the Lord, uh, maybe immediately what you think is it's talking about things like preaching. Preaching is definitely the work of the Lord or leading a Bible study, that's labor in the Lord. Or if you go on a mission team to Uganda in the summer, that's definitely the work of the Lord. If you're volunteering at an alpha course or an adventures upstairs, uh, that's definitely the work of the Lord. If you're making tea and coffee on a Sunday morning in church, well, we're a little bit less sure because we're like, it's not very spiritual work, but it's in church, so maybe that's still the work of the Lord. Um, what I want to try and persuade you of this morning is that any work that you do can be the work of the Lord. Um, the work that seems spiritual and also the work that we sometimes call secular the work that you find really inspiring and fulfilling and purposeful and the work that you sometimes find a bit dreary and dull. The work that you get paid for and all the other bits of work that you do that nobody pays you for. And I want to say that but especially to say just because we're talking about work, um, I don't want you to switch off if you're currently um, a full-time homemaker or you're unemployed or you're retired or you're not able to work at the minute, um, this still applies to you because we're thinking about what, what is it that is yours to do each day? And it may include the work of looking after kids or looking after elderly parents or visiting lonely neighbours um, or volunteering in different ways or befriending people. There's all kinds of work that people do that is not paid. So we're not just, we're thinking about your paid work, but also all the other work that is ours to do um, in our days. But what I want to try and persuade you of this morning is that all of that work is spiritual and holy. And all of that work can be worship. And all of that work can be mission. Right? So I'm going to talk probably a little bit more about worship in the first part of what we talk about. But I'll come back to mission later on because I want to try and persuade you if we make our work 
an act of worship, it will also end up being mission, right? So that's kind of where we're, where we're going this morning. So you can tell me later on if you're persuaded, but that's what I want to try and persuade you of um, as we go. Um, and we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 15 at the end. This morning we're going to be in a number of different uh, Bible verses and passages, uh, but I'm going to come back to 1 Corinthians 15 at the end. Um, let me, maybe to, to lead us into this, let me tell a story um, about a man who drives a rubbish truck, a sanitation truck, as they call it in America. Um, I'm going to read you just a little bit uh, from this book, The Symphony of Mission, because uh, I love this paragraph. Um, and it may whet your appetite to go and read the book. Um, so it's about a man called Bruce who drives a rubbish truck. Each morning, Bruce steps into his truck. He prays for God's blessing. He fires up the engine. He begins his route. While most of the other drivers find little meaning in their work, Bruce knows that he's embarking on a mission. The hands that grip the steering wheel were created to display the glory of God. He knows that inside the size 13 boots that press against the gas and brake pedals are mangled feet with formerly broken toes, thick calluses and bunions. Yet these feet have a rugged beauty, much like the beauty of the cross, because they will carry him to unforeseen opportunities to serve his neighbours in the name of the God who washes feet. Before putting the truck in gear, he lifts his coffee to his mouth, praying that he will, have, he will have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel with the same lips that are being slightly seared by his piping hot gas station coffee. Bruce isn't a fan of classical music, but as he begins his day, he knows that he gets the privilege of participating in the symphony of God's mission. His 420 horsepower engine plays percussion in God's song of salvation to the nations. And then just this last little bit I want to read. He goes on and tells a lot more about Bruce. But it says, taped to his dashboard are several index cards with quotes and scripture verses to remind him of the sacred work of driving a sanitation truck. And so I wanted to read you that little paragraph just to introduce what we're talking about. But I also... I love that idea of putting up uh, wherever you work, wherever you do your daily work, putting up verses and quotes. Bruce does it in the cab of his truck um, to help him to approach his day as a place where God is present, as a place where he is worshipping, as a place where he is on mission. He puts up these um, verses and quotes. And so I want to encourage you, I'm going to use that maybe as a... a a framework for what we're going to think about. Um, think about the space where you do your daily work. Um, and maybe it's a desk or maybe it's a classroom or maybe it's a factory floor or maybe I don't know where it is that you do your, your daily work. Um, I wonder what quotes and verses you might stick up. And I'm not talking here about kind of cheesy, um, inspiring quotations about like love what you do and do what you love or things like that. Maybe, maybe that's kind of profound, I don't know. Um, or things like, you don't have to be mad to work here, but it helps. I'm not, I'm not talking about that kind of thing. Um, what could you write up on the wall that your eye might fall on every day that would frame the work that you do 
in the way that Bruce approaches driving his truck. And maybe as we go through this morning, you might, there might be some of the, the quotes that I put up. I'm going to put up a number of Bible verses, and you may want to grab one and go, that's for me. I'm going to write that up and put it where I work uh, this week. And we'll also quote a number of other people as well. Um, so let's, let's go. I'm going to start here. This is a verse that Bruce has up in his truck as he drives his rubbish truck. Um, and it's from Genesis 2. And it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So every morning as Bruce starts up his engine, he reads that verse. This is why God put human beings on the earth. Um, and that little verse and that passage right at the beginning in Genesis reminds us of a number of things. It reminds us that work in itself is good. Work was not a result of the fall. Work was there in the beginning in the world that God called good. Um, it reminds us in a very subtle way that work is worship. Um, and commentators tell us that the word that is used there in Genesis 2 for work is exactly the same word that later in the Old Testament is used for the priest as they serve in the tabernacle, as they serve in the temple. And a Jewish person hearing that word knows it's a word that has a sacred, holy resonance. It's about doing holy work. And so the man is placed in the garden to do work that is holy as he digs in the ground, as he works in the garden. So work is good in itself. Work is worship. And it reminds us also that work is to be done with love. Just that little phrase, to take care. That's the work that the man is given to do. Work is to be done with care. It's to be done with love. And maybe the word that people sometimes use in talking about this is the word stewardship. Um, and really all that word means is whatever we have has been given to us by God and is to be used responsibly. Um, it's a privilege and a responsibility. So wherever you have been put in God's world and whatever gifts you have been given and whatever opportunities are yours in your days, we are responsible before God to do it with care, to do it with love. Um, that's our original creation mandate and mission that has never been revoked. And so Bruce has that up in his truck. Maybe it's a verse you want to put up uh, wherever you work. That's where we begin in Genesis 2. Let me read another one. I'm putting them all at a wonky angle just so they look like post-it notes. Um, Romans 12, verse 1. Um, there's a wee bit before what I have on the screen that says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. And that's important, that, that little bit, because um, for 11 chapters in Romans, Paul has given us um, gospel, 11 chapters of beautiful gospel, proclaiming the message of God's grace, proclaiming the message of God's mercy. And now he is saying, therefore, in light of that amazing mercy that you've been shown, in light of that amazing grace that you've been shown, and the question is, what, what comes next? What do we do? How do we respond to so great a salvation, so great a mercy? And what Paul says is this, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's not an extraordinary thing 
to say, how do we respond appropriately to God's grace and mercy? Do we sing songs? Definitely. We've been doing that this morning. It's good to do. Do we engage in lots of Christian activities around church? That's also can be good to do. Um, but it's not what Paul says. In light of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. In other words, offer your whole life. Um, here's how the message translates uh, that little bit of Romans. It says, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. That's incredibly profound. Get that one stuck up in your place of work. Um, your ordinary life, your body, your eating, sleeping, going to work life, offer it to God. Not just your Sunday life, but your Monday to Saturday life. Not just when you're in church, but wherever you are, wherever you find yourself the rest of the, rest of the time. Not just when you're singing and praying and reading the Bible, but whatever you're doing, offer it to God. It's a very deliberate thing, isn't it? Intentionally give it to God. And Paul says, this is holy and pleasing to God. This is true, proper worship. Um, I, find I find myself imagining, um, sometimes we use the word worship in a, in a, a very narrow way just to refer to, to singing on a Sunday. Uh, but imagine if we said in church on a Sunday morning, we're going to have a time of worship. And then we handed you each a bag of potatoes to peel, right? Peeling potatoes can be worship. It's holy work if you approach it in that way, if you offer it to God. Imagine if we said, we're going to have a time of worship and I gave you seeds to go and plant in the garden, right? Or I gave you a baby needing its nappy changed, right? That's holy work. That can be worship. Um, if I gave you homework, that needs to be done or needs to be marked, or I give you a broken clock that needs to be fixed, or I give you a spreadsheet that needs to be balanced, or I give you, what if I give you a blank page waiting for a poem to be written or a painting to be painted, right? All of that can be worship if it's offered to God, everything that we do in our ordinary days. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, place it before God as an offering. This is proper worship. Um, let, me, let me throw up a quotation um, or a, a tiny bit of a quotation from uh, Dorothy Sayers. Um, it's a very, that's a very short quote. Make good tables. Let me, let me give you the, the longer quote that that comes from. And if I was picking a title for this morning's talk, that would probably be it, right? This is what Dorothy Sayers says. She says, the church's approach an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Church, by all means, decent forms of amusement, certainly, but what use is all that if in the very center of his life and occupation he is insulting God with bad carpentry, right? And, he, and she goes on to talk about God as the carpenter craftsman who creates the world and crafts the world. The first thing we should be telling 
a Christian carpenter is make good tables and offer that work to God. Um, and maybe that's something you could think about as you think about your daily work. What would it mean in the place of your daily work to make good tables? What would the equivalent be for you of making good tables um, and taking pride in doing a good job? Let me give you another uh, verse. I don't know if you found the one yet that's right for you. Uh, you, can, you can take as many as you want. You can cover, actually I was about to say cover your windshield in uh, these, but that's probably not, not safe. Um, health and safety would uh, have a word. Um, Colossians 3, verse 17. Paul writes, whatever you do, that's kind of all-encompassing, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You getting how these, there's kind of, there's nothing that's not included in these verses. Um, as I put that one up on the screen, maybe I want to ask this question is, how, how will you do your work if you approach it in that spirit? How will you do your work if it's done in the name of Jesus? If everything you're doing is done in the name of Jesus, how will you do it? Um, a few suggestions. You won't do it carelessly. You'll do it with care. You won't do it half-heartedly. You'll do it wholeheartedly, given everything you've got. You won't do the bare minimum to get away with it. You'll give your very best. Here's an important one. <laughs> you won't do it grumbling. You'll do it giving thanks. You won't do it in your own strength, but you'll do it prayerfully depending on him. There's a few suggestions. If we were to approach our daily work like that, I think that's how we would approach it. Um, let me give you another quotation from outside the Bible. This one will make no sense when I put it up. Um, Johann Sebastian Bach, one of the greatest composers of all time, um, this is what he says. He says, JJ and SDJ. So I hope that inspires you a lot. Um, many of you may know, um, at the end of each of his manuscripts that Bach wrote, um, his concertos and uh, sonatas and symphonies and all the rest, he wrote three letters. He wrote S, D, G. And it stood for a, a Latin phrase, which is soli deo, Gloria, which means for the glory of God alone. So every time Bach finished another one of his masterpieces, he said, this is not for my glory. I'm offering it to God. This is for God. And of course, many people through the centuries have testified that Bach's music has moved something very deeply in them that's not just about the enjoyment of music, but about worship stirring. Um, What's maybe less well-known is that Bach also wrote two letters at the beginning of his manuscripts, which were JJ, which stood for another Latin phrase, which is Jesu Juva, which means Jesus help. Isn't that beautiful? Right? So before he began his work, he said, I need a lot of help. Right? And as he finished it, he handed it back to the God who'd given the help, said, this is for your glory. 
um, and not for mine. And maybe another question for you to think about. What difference would it make to your everyday work if you began each task by asking Jesus for help? And if you ended every task by offering it to God for his glory? How would that change the atmosphere of your work, the feel of your work, the way you do it? Um, how, would, how would it change? Maybe you could try that and see. Um, you don't have to use the Latin, by the way. It's not more spiritual. Uh, you can do it in, do it in English. Um, but maybe, as I'm saying all this um, so far, maybe you're thinking, this all sounds very good and very admirable and very noble. And maybe you're thinking, um, maybe... If I was a carpenter handcrafting beautiful tables, I could see my work in this way. Or maybe if I was a composer um, writing beautiful symphonies, I could see my work in this way as spiritual and worship and offering it to God and um, all the rest. But maybe you're thinking, if I could see the work that you actually have to do every day, you're thinking, JM wouldn't ask me to do it gladly, right? If he saw the reality of what my everyday work situation is actually like, you wouldn't say all these highfalutin things about um, the purpose of work and the, and the spirit in which we approach it. Um, and this is important maybe to think about. Maybe in the Garden of Eden, um, work was fulfilling and joyful, but we don't live in that world. We live in a, a broken and fallen world, and part of the curse in Genesis 3 is that the nature of work has been changed. The garden is now full of thorns and full of weeds, which means that work has become painful for the body and often also wearisome for the soul and the mind. And so people talk about mind-numbing work and soul-wearying work and bone-crushing work and all the rest. Um, and maybe this morning there are many ways that you might feel that curse in your daily work. Let me mention a few. Maybe, maybe your work is just really physically exhausting. right? Maybe, maybe your work is dull and repetitive and kind of mind-numbing. Uh, maybe your work is full of frustrating paperwork and endless bureaucracy. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. That's not my work, by the way, but... Um, Maybe your work is full of difficult people. I'll not ask for an amen on that one. Um, who work with you or above you or below you um, and make your life very difficult. Um, maybe you feel sometimes like a cog in a machine. Maybe you feel sometimes like anyone could do what you do. So it doesn't give you a great sense of purpose. Um, maybe you feel like if you didn't do the work you're doing, no one would really notice. Maybe you feel like you have gifts and talents that are not being used, that are going to waste, right? Those are all realities of doing work in a post-Genesis 3 world. Uh, and so I, I wanted to make sure we mentioned that because if your spirit kind of groans about all of that, I really believe the spirit of God groans as well, right? It says in the Bible, the spirit groans. It says creation itself is groaning and waiting to be liberated uh, from its bondage. And so if you're feeling that kind of groan, I want to say it's right that you long for better work and maybe look for better work and maybe pray for 
better work. That's it's not wrong that you do that. That restlessness, that groan can be a really good thing. Pay attention to it. Share it with other people um, who can groan with you and pray with you. Um, but still, <laughs> having said all that, I want to say even where you are right now in the work that you're doing, your work is holy and your work is worship and your work is mission. Let me put up another verse. Uh, this is from uh, a little later in Colossians on the verse I read earlier on. Paul says in a, a similar spirit, but a little more specifically, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. But here's one of those times when it's really important to ask about the context. Who was Paul talking to when he said that? He wasn't writing to people who were living their dream job, who were living their best life, who were pursuing their passion, who were doing what they love and loving what they do. Right? He was writing to slaves. That's who he was addressing those words to. People who were stuck in the most stuck of places that we can imagine with no freedom to choose their own adventure, with very few choices, very few options, very few alternatives open to them. And Paul doesn't just say, hang in there and grit your teeth. He says, work with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord. Work as an act of worship. Offer it to Jesus. Um, and I really believe Paul doesn't say this because he thinks slavery is good. But Paul knows as he looks around his world that slavery is not going anywhere anytime soon. It is the reality within which his brothers and sisters are living. Um, and Paul believes that something more than mere survival is possible. Something more than just getting through the day is possible. That they can work even where they are stuck. They can work in a way that is beautiful to God. I think that's what Paul is conveying here. Their work can send up an aroma that is beautiful to God. And so I wonder if that verse inspired Martin Luther King when he said this, and you may want to put this one up on your wall, that you'll need a very big post-it note for this one. Um, Martin Luther King said this. He said, if it falls to your lot, and maybe you think of Bruce driving his rubbish truck, if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, Go out and sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Handel or Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will have to pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Um, it's difficult if you're in that place. But Paul is saying it's possible the spirit of God is in you to live in that way wherever you are um, to do it in that spirit and so I want to suggest um, whenever in a way I've just been repeating the same thing about 10 times there um, our work is worship um, and I want to suggest I want to come back to mission and I want to suggest when we offer our work to God as worship it will also become mission it will become part of our mission in the world, part of our participation in the mission of God. 
and it will make a difference in our world. It's beautiful to God, uh, but it will also make a difference in our world. And I was trying to think about how to try to convince you of this, um, and I, I scribbled down various ideas, but in the end I want to tell you about the person who's taught me the most about this. Um, and that's, that person is my dad. Um, whenever I was young, a lot of you know, when I was young, my dad was a missionary in Japan, um, doing the stuff that missionaries do, preaching and Bible studies and all that kind of stuff. Um, but later, when we came back to Northern Ireland, and for a much longer time that I remember much better, um, my dad continued to be a missionary. Um, but he was a missionary in a Japanese company in Belfast, which makes these, um, makes trigger sprayers, you know, the, on your flash liquid bottles and all, uh, that you squirt uh, to get the, get the mold out of the corners of the shower and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's what his company made, and that's where my dad worked for the majority of his uh, adult life. Um, I think my dad's work there was a good example of um, maybe what I've been trying to convey of work in the messy middle, where we're not, we're not in the Garden of Eden and we're not yet in the New Jerusalem, but we're working in the messy middle where we are. Um, the company he worked for wasn't a bad or evil company, I don't think. They made a product that is useful, that people find useful in their daily lives. Maybe there's a bit much plastic involved there. Uh, and we could ask questions about that. Um, but it was just, it was a decent company doing decent work. Um, the work was maybe not inspiring, like making a beautiful cha handcrafted chair or a symphony, um, but it was good, honest labor. He had good colleagues that he sometimes told me a little bit about, and he had colleagues that were really difficult to work with. He had bosses who were really good to work for, and he'd one or two bosses who were a nightmare to work for, and, and made his work really stressful and really difficult. Um, as I looked at my dad, I was aware the job that he did used some of his gifts, but not all of them. I was aware my dad had other gifts that he didn't get to express in his work. I think that's kind of typical of where a lot of people find themselves every day. But my dad approached his job as something, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't talk about my family without a lot of emotion, um, as something holy, as, some, as something that was worship. And as I was reflecting on it, I was thinking, I don't even know how I knew that as I grew up, but it was something that I imbibed really strongly from the way my dad went to work and the way he talked about his work and the way he came home. He approached his work prayerfully. Um, I know that he prayed often about his work and about his colleagues and about uh, his workplace. I remember him telling me that when things got stressful, he would retreat to the toilet cubicle and read his Bible and pray again and ask God, Jesus, help, <laughs> right? It mattered to my dad that he did the best job he could that as far as he had influence, they would make the best trigger sprayer they could make, that wouldn't malfunction and squirt people in the eye, but would do what it was meant to do. Um, he, um, in his, whenever he was working in sales, um, I know that it really mattered to him that he would be known to those he worked with as someone who was truthful, who had integrity, who didn't promise things that he didn't deliver, and he would be as, as uh, a straight shooter 
in the way that he dealt with people. He would tell the truth. Um, my dad got opportunities in his work to act um, because he spoke Japanese. He often translated between Japanese management and a Northern Irish workforce who often didn't understand each other in many ways. Um, and dad, as well as translating the language, he also got to be a kind of cultural mediator. And sometimes he would soften things between where there could be misunderstandings. He would uh, take some liberties with his translation to make sure that the cultures understood each other. And so he was a kind of peacemaker uh, in the, the role that he played. Um, maybe the thing that always struck me most um, in listening to my dad talk about people he'd been with during the day in work was it was a really important value to him that he treated every person the same. Whether he was dealing with the, the owner of the company who'd come over from Japan, the chairman, or whether he was dealing with his colleagues who worked side by side with him, or whether he was dealing with the person who came to clean the office or who served tea in the canteen uh, or, what it, or came to fix the machines or whatever it was. He treated every person with the same honor and the same dignity. Um, my dad approached his work as worship, and so it was also mission. My dad never stopped being a missionary, right? Um, I, wonder, I wonder even as I just described that picture, do you need persuading that, that whenever a Christian approaches their work in that kind of way, it has a powerful impact in terms of God's mission in the world? It changes the atmosphere a little, in the place where they're working. It changes the culture a little. I wonder, can you imagine, what does that do when people then find out that person that they're working with who has that attitude is a follower of Jesus? What does that do for the reputation of the gospel? What does it do for the reputation of Jesus when Christians are approaching their daily work in that kind of way? Um, when you approach your work as worship, it will become mission. Um, I, I think, as I reflect on it, the way my dad approached his work, um, I guess what we could say is it gave the world a glimpse of God's character. I think that's what happens. Because um, God is a craftsman who takes delight in making something well. And people saw a little bit of that in my dad. Um, God is someone who is truthful and trustworthy and faithful. And you can believe what he says. And so people saw a little glimpse of that. And my dad, God is the one who is the great peacemaker who breaks down barriers and brings reconciliation and makes peace where there is division. And they saw a little glimpse of that in my dad. God is the one who cares deeply about every single person and is no respecter of titles or anything like that, but who comes to where each person is and treats them with tremendous love and compassion and kindness. And so people got a little glimpse of that in my dad. Whenever you approach your work as worship, the world gets a little glimpse of the character of God. That is missionally powerful uh, as you live in that way. And so again, I want to ask you, how could you do your daily work, whatever you've been given to do, in a way that reflects God's character? Maybe you could think about that. Um, what aspects of God's character could you show in the way that you go about your daily tasks. Um, I really believe it, it's beautiful to God as worship, but it also shows God's beauty to the world, and that is mission.
Um, well, I promised you um, I would come back to 1 Corinthians 15 before we finished. So this, this time I'm going to put it on a post-it note because um, you may want to put this one up. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Um, let me maybe put this verse up as well in the message. This is what it says. It says, throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. And I guess what we've been saying this morning is anything you do can be done for him. If you approach it in that spirit, asking for help, offering it to him as an act of worship. Um, nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. And maybe just as a place uh, to finish for the last couple of minutes, um, I did want to say this, that I think that is something we believe by faith because we won't always get to see the impact of the good work we do. Sometimes you will, but sometimes we, this is something we just, we believe this by faith. Um, sometimes you will do your work in the spirit that we've been talking about this morning and it will seem like nobody notices, right? Um, the, the Scottish band Delamitri, uh, who write beautiful songs with depressing lyrics, um, have one that says, love disappears like spit in the rain, um, which is very depressing. Um, but sometimes that is how you will feel. If you're doing your work with all your heart, trying to do a good job, trying to treat people with honor, trying to treat people well, trying to do it in a way that is offered to God as worship, and you will feel like nobody even notices, and it's made no difference whatsoever. And a big part of what we're trying to say this morning is God cares, <laughs> and God notices, but also he will take whatever you offer to him, and he will use it as part of his mission in the world. And sometimes you'll get to see that, and sometimes you won't. And we take it on faith. We offer it to him and we trust that he has said if it's, if it's done for him, it's not going to be wasted. Right? That's the promise. It's not in vain. It's not wasted. First Corinthians 15, um, if you go and read it later on, is a chapter that is all about resurrection. Right? It's all about the resurrection of Jesus. And I think that, that actually helps us understand this promise because when Jesus did his work, that he came to this world to do. And Jesus finished his work and he offered his life to God and he, his work took him eventually all the way to the cross. And if you're talking about something that looked to all the world like a colossal waste, then that is the moment. It looks like the work of Jesus has ended in failure. It looks like it's just thrown away like a piece of rubbish. It looks like a complete waste. Um, it seemed like the work of Jesus had ended in failure. And yet you and I are people who believe that was not the end of the story. And so as followers of the risen king, as believers in the resurrection, we offer up our daily lives, we pour out our lives, and sometimes we will see great breakthroughs and successes. Sometimes you'll get to see the culture of your workplace changing see the atmosphere shifting, see people being transformed. Sometimes you'll get to share the message of Jesus with your colleagues and you'll get to see them becoming Christians and you'll see the impact of the faithful work that you've done. 
and sometimes you'll be doing it day after day and wondering, is this just a waste? But we offer it to God um, and we trust the God of resurrection and we keep doing our work wholeheartedly as worship and we trust the God of resurrection that he is at work making all things new and he will take our little work and make it part of that story. Our task is just to keep doing it and keep offering it and keep trusting in what God is doing um, in our world. Um, I'm hoping, I'd love to finish with a prayer. Um, And rather than me praying myself, I'm hoping to show a little video that that just is a very simple prayer. Um, In a second, we'll see if it works. But what I would love you to do just as, Actually, I was about to say close your eyes, but don't close your eyes because there's a video to go with it. Um, But just as we we play this simple prayer, I want you to bring to mind um, the work that you have ahead of you this week, the tasks that are going to be yours to do this week. Um, And I guess this prayer is a kind of commissioning. Um, Sometimes we only only commission people who go to do the, the conventional missionary work or the preachers or the people doing what we think is spiritual work, but actually we need to commission everybody uh, to the work that they do. And so um, let's uh, watch, listen to this prayer together. And then when it's finished, uh, we're going to sing together uh, just to finish our service. Let me remind you, um, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning uh, before you go home for anything going on in your life, if you want someone to pray with you about what you're facing in your work this week, uh, there'll be a couple of people up here uh, who would love to pray, pray with you. Uh, before you go. So let's pray. God of heaven and earth, We pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Teach us to see our vocations and occupations as woven into your work in the world this week. For mothers at home who care for children, for those whose labor forms our common life in this city, the nation, and the world. For those who serve the marketplace of ideas and commerce. For those whose creative gifts nourish us all. For those whose callings take them into the academy. For those who long for employment that satisfies their souls and serves you. For each one we pray. Asking for your great mercy. Give us eyes to see that our work is holy to you, O Lord even as our worship this day is holy to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
Amen.